Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. For years, BetOnline Sportsbook had all of your odds, props, promos, and parlays for whatever sport you can imagine. However, this week is the first time ever BetOnline Sportsbook has a basketball in-season tournament. You can use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description of this episode, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Take that 50% welcome bonus and bet on the in-season tournament. You could take Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers, the New York Knicks, Dame and Giannis in Milwaukee. You've got the Pelicans. You've got a duel between the Suns and the Lakers, the favorites in Boston, or my pick to win it all, my hometown, Sacramento Kings. Light the beam, bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing. You guys can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, as you have every Monday for the past five football seasons. It's another fantabulous NFL Monday show here on the podcast. It's week 13 and a half. It was week 14 in college, week 13 in the NFL. So glad to be joined by all of you for another fantabulous NFL Monday. There is so much to dive into. The the 49ers-Eagles game is one of those games that you just sit down and you have to watch the whole damn thing. And we are going to have an in-depth breakdown of the 49ers and Eagles game coming up We want to talk about the college football playoff and how Florida State is not going to get in and how Alabama went in and beat the crap out of Georgia and denied them three straight national championships. That was a monumental game. Like the last time a team had a chance to win three consecutive national championships, it was a decade ago and Alabama was denied by the kick six by Auburn. That was the last time a team had a chance to win three national championships in a row, and Georgia had their national championship hopes dashed by Alabama, putting the hurt on their defense with players like Jermaine Burton, who transferred from Georgia's national championship team to Alabama to then deny Georgia a third straight national championship. That game was absolutely impeccable. Florida State's not going to get a chance to play for a national title because of their quarterback being down. There is so much interesting stuff in the world of college football that I want to dive into. Obviously, 49ers-Eagles takes precedent. That was a huge football game. Of course, we're going to talk about all the other action going on throughout the NFL. And the place that I have to start, have to, have to, have to start on this NFL Monday 
is with Colts and Titans. I'm disgusted by the fact that I have to start Colts and Titans like this. It feels so weird. It feels so strange. And yet Colts and Titans is the thing that's going to take precedent to start off the week. We're not going to spend too much time on it because there's a lot of Niners-Eagles to dive into. And the Broncos-Texans game. I mean, good Lord, watching the Texans. Every week we come here and talk about the Texans on this show in some way, shape, or form. Last week we dedicated like 20 minutes to talking about that Jaguars-Texans game. Every week we come here and talk about the damn Texans and Broncos. There's just there's so much stuff going on, and yet Colts and Titans is the thing that I am transfixed by. Because for years we've been talking about how the AFC South is essentially a pyramid scheme, right? The AFC South is a pyramid scheme that siphons money away from it. used to be ESPN because ESPN was always forced to get the playoff game that included the four seed in the AFC being whoever won the AFC South who would play against the the top the five versus four AFC playoff game was always some AFC South team against a wild card for like a decade straight the the entire purpose of the AFC South was who is going to get the fourth seed in the playoff that they will probably lose a playoff game to in the wild card weekend likely on ESPN cuz one year i think ESPN paid half a billion dollars for the wild card game that was Connor Cook versus TJ Yates. And there was also one that had Brian Hoyer, and there was also one that had Marcus Mariota, and there was also one that had Ryan Tannehill. Like, it's just just god-awful football up and down the AFC South for years. Now, the NFC South for the last two years has taken the mantle from the AFC South of team that is just going to get the four seed and lose to the Cowboys in the wild card. That's been the NFC South for two years now. However, the AFC South has put in a decade of work in this respect of always being the division that's just going to put the fourth team, the fourth division winner that's obligated to get in the playoffs, who will then play a five versus four wildcard game at 1.30 p.m. on Saturday of wildcard weekend. And a lot of times it's been the Titans. A lot of times it's been the Colts. Sometimes it's been Houston. A couple years it's been Jacksonville. Last year it was Jacksonville. Remember, Jacksonville was the fourth seed in the AFC last year. Jacksonville beat the Chargers, but they were down 27-0 in that playoff game. Look, this is who the AFC South is. And this year, the Texans have been the perfect embodiment of that meme. The Texans have been like just pure chaos all season long. But this Colts and Titans game might have been the most pure chaos of all the chaos AFC South games that I have seen in years. I think the last one that came close to this was Week 18 Titans versus Jags prime time Saturday night on ESPN to decide who would get the fourth seed in the AFC playoffs when it was Josh Dobbs starting for the Titans and almost beating the Jaguars to get to the playoffs. And anytime we have an AFC South being AFC South game, it always piques my curiosities. I've memed myself into caring about the Tennessee Titans for multiple seasons on this podcast. I have memed myself into caring about the goddamn Houston Texans this year, despite the fact that the Texans are in like year five of a five-year rebuild. Like I have memed myself into caring about the AFC South for years. And this Colts-Titans game just piqued my curiosity because we had in this game... Not one, but two blocked punts by the Indianapolis Colts. Two blocked punts 
in the same game. One of them injured the punter for the Titans such that later in the game, the real Titan punter, who was gone by this point, with a minute to go in the game, they had Nick Folk kicking punts for the Titans back to the Colts. Nick Folk had to kick punts. Two blocked punts, one of them injuring the punter for the Titans. On one of the blocked punts, the Colts ended up scoring a touchdown. On that two-point conversion, the Titans got a pick six off of Gardner Minshew. A pick six on a two-point conversion that went back for two points for the Titans. So you had a blocked punt, a two-point conversion pick six. You had... Another blocked punt, a drive that ended with Gardner Minshew getting sacked at the goal line when he had three chances inside the five-yard line to score for the Colts. Couldn't punch the ball in. So now it's a six-point game. The Titans get the ball. The Titans go down the field. The Titans score a touchdown. Tie the game at 25-25. Nick Folk comes out for the PAT to give the Titans a one-point lead. Shanked it to the left. So now we have two blocked punts, a pick six two-point conversion, the Colts being unable to score at the goal line, and then that turning into the Titans down six, scoring a touchdown in the fourth quarter that then goes to overtime because the Titans missed the extra point. So this game is already batshit stupid crazy. At the same time, it made me realize that, like, I think because last year Jalen Hurts got hurt and then Gardner Minshew came in and played two games in December and lost both games for the Eagles. I think people stopped like rooting for the Gardner Minshew like, oh, look at this crazy dude who wears a mullet and dresses like a porn star and lives out of a, a van that is next to the gym that he's working out in Florida, which is a real thing that he did <laughs> over the offseason two years ago. He lived out of a van while he was the backup quarterback for the Eagles for six months just so that he could live next to his gym. Like, Gardner Minshew went from being a meme to just being, like, Jacoby Brissett pretty quick. And I think that happened because he started two games for the Eagles last year when Jalen Hurts was hurt and lost, like, semi-important games. And we stopped, like, thinking of Minshew as a meme and more of, like, a hindrance to good football. And now that he's playing for the Colts, he's been fun and stupid, but I feel like the the luster is gone from him. Like, the way we're treating Tommy DeVito was the way that we used to treat Gardner Minshew when he was quarterback in the Jaguars, and he's been a quarterback all season long, and it feels like we're just not making any more of the Gardner Minshew jokes. Maybe he became boring. Maybe his act became tiresome. Maybe we've reached the stage of his career where he's going to be a backup quarterback on seven teams in 10 years, which right now he's at three and four. So the odds are pretty good that he'll get to seven backup quarterback jobs within 10 years. I think the odds are pretty good on that for Minshew, but we stopped making fun of Gardner Minshew. We stopped loving him as our quirky football quarterback boy. And now he's just a generic backup who comes in and makes us feel sad. But anyways, then we He's in overtime because he couldn't put away the Titans, and the Titans couldn't put away the Colts by making an extra point. So, like, yeah, Gardner Minshew kept the Titans in this game, a game the Colts should have won a long time earlier, and the game ends up going to overtime, and the Titans end up kicking a field goal to go to 28-25, and then Gardner Minshew gets the football. 
And guess what Gardner Minshew does? Down three, needing a score to win or tie against the godforsaken Tennessee Titans. He hits Alec Pierce on a deep ball to set up first and goal with two minutes left to play. And he wins the game at the end with a touchdown to Michael Pittman that moves the Colts into the seventh seed in the AFC past the Houston Texans, who were also 7-5 and five and in the seventh seed. Whoever gets that seventh seed in the AFC playoffs, if they get it over the Buffalo Bills, regardless of whether it's the Colts or the Texans, whoever gets that spot, if it's over the Buffalo Bills, that's going to be like an AFC South masterclass. If the Colts or Texans 9-8 and eight their way into the seventh wild card over the Buffalo Bills, that's going to be the pyramid scheme AFC South at its finest. Because the Jaguars are actually good this year. The Jaguars might end up getting the four seed in the AFC still just because of how good Baltimore, Miami, and Kansas City are. But the Jaguars are legitimately good this year. They don't fit the pyramid scheme narrative. In fact, they're kind of ruining the pyramid scheme narrative. But if the Colts or Texans get that seventh wild card and the Buffalo Bills, who are clearly better than both of those teams, miss the playoffs, that is going to be AFC South pyramid scheming at its finest to steal money from whoever is broadcasting the seven versus two playoff game in the AFC playoffs that will maybe involve the Dolphins, maybe involve the Ravens, maybe involve Kansas City. It's going to be a peak pyramid scheme moment if whoever gets the two seed in the AFC gets to beat the crap out of the Colts or Texans instead of getting to watch Buffalo versus Miami Part 3 or Buffalo versus Kansas City or Buffalo versus Baltimore. The losers will be us. The winners will be the AFC South pyramid scheming their way through the entire NFL by virtue of putting those four godforsaken teams in the same division as each other. And at the same time, I love so much that this division exists while simultaneously cursing under my breath every time it happens. It is the meme division, and it is also our beautiful, beautiful pyramid scheme comical sports memes division. Now that I've got that shit off my chest, let's talk about the damn 49ers and Eagles game. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come. And seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. 
Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. All right. I know Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't play for the San Francisco 49ers anymore. However, for the past three seasons, this has been a staple of our San Francisco 49er coverage. Anytime the Niners do something crazy or get a big win, we got to bring back the Jimmy Garoppolo parody song, even though Jimmy Garoppolo is now a distant memory for 49ers fans because of their MVP quarterback Brock Purdy and their MVP running back Christian McCaffrey and the real MVP of that offense which is Trent Williams and when Trent Williams is healthy they are 9-0 and number one in SRS ranking number one in expected win-loss record number one in offensive DVOA number two in defensive DVOA they are the best team in the National Football League and they beat the crap out of the Philadelphia Eagles by scoring six touchdowns on six consecutive possessions to whoop up on the Eagles. An Eagles team that, by the way, is third best in the NFC. The Dallas Cowboys are better than the Philadelphia Eagles. If you took the offense and defense of each of the three best teams in the NFC, the Niners, the Cowboys, and the Eagles, the weakest unit on all three teams is the Philadelphia Eagles defense. They rank 15th in the league in DVOA coming into this week. They rank 13th in uh, defensive rating coming into this week. The Philadelphia Eagles are in a difficult position right now. They're going to be a below-average defense that has basically given up 20 points in every game they've played this year except against the Jets, and in the Jets game they lost. So uh, it's been a tough run for the Eagles' defense. It'll be their... The thing that keeps them from going back to the Super Bowl, I feel pretty confident as of right now saying the defense will be the thing that keeps the Eagles from going back to the Super Bowl. And uh, our friend Emil Fergoso and I did that post-game show again for for our Sacramento radio station uh, on Instagram Live, breaking down the end of the game. Uh, once again, I'm going to share that here with all of you guys because uh, last time with the, the Seahawks game, it was, a, it was a great way to break down a, a Thanksgiving game that had some level of stakes to it. And anytime we talk about the San Francisco 49ers, uh, getting someone like Emil who covers the team and has some in-depth breakdowns of the team and uh, our friend Nate Littlefield, it's always good to get some of that breakdown in there. But as you'll hear, we'll do some X's and O's breakdown and we'll do some like evaluation of the league type stuff. However, we're also going to spend a lot of this post-game recap covering the thing that I actually want to talk about, which is the fight on the sidelines between Dre Greenlaw and Eagles head of security, Dom DeSandro. All of it was just absolutely amazing. I, I don't want to bury the lead here. So, so let's just hop in with 
our friend Emil Fergoso. We work with him over here in Sacramento doing Sacramento sports radio stuff. He covers the 49ers. He goes out to Niner practices and stuff. Uh, this was the post-game show that we did together after the 49ers beat the Eagles, and Dom DeSandro ended up fighting with Dre Greenlaw, just just and that in the NFC playoff picture and X's and O's breakdown of the game, all of it, all of it, we got here on the 49ers Eagles post game recap. Um, because I have a recap and I got pressers, I'm missing them right now, but I'll get to them afterwards. It's going to be a night because I got to get this recap done. It's going to be a long recap, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, what are your what are your thoughts uh, quickly uh, on the game? That was very, very fun. That's the thing that I took away from it. That was a super, super fun game. Um, it, what was it? The first quarter when the Eagles had 120 yards of offense and the Niners had like negative six. Yep. Didn't think that we'd come here and say the Niners scored a touchdown on every single possession the remainder of the game. And this yep. is this is me fully acknowledging the Philadelphia Eagles defense is not that good. Like all season long, they've been about league average in most statistical – like most – Nerd yep. stats. They're middle of the road defense. Um, they haven't really st- held an opponent to under twenty points, except for Kansas City, which was a drop pass by Marquez Valdez Scantling. So I yep. don't feel like that counts. Like, yeah, I thought the Niners would score a whole bunch of points, but like, I didn't think it would be six consecutive touchdown drives to end the game. That was that was hilarious, especially against the Eagles, who had the best record in the NFL. And you talk about the Cowboys in that game. Just a quick stat for you: combined. In both Niner wins between Eagles and Cowboys, 84 to 29 scoreline. <laughs> 84 to 29? Are you kidding me? That's Dude. like, that's Madden. That's Madden. And look, like the Cowboys post 49ers game have been a different team, but it's still crazy to think about that in that context that against the, the only other two good teams in the NFC, I feel pretty confident saying. The Detroit Lions are not very good, but I guess the yeah. I guess really work for that Saints win today. <laughs> yeah, I know, and they should have lost to the Bears, and they did lose to the Packers. Like, yeah, the Lions are regressing to the mean a bit, but like the only other two teams that are good in the NFC that just kick their ass is absolutely crazy. I know you guys had talked about this because I was listening before, yeah. but um, just I I could spend an hour talking about Dom DeSantro. Like, it's just amazing. Look, we, me and they didn't even talk about that. I got I to gotta get your look because I, I had said it was a big game to play, but my own personal opinion on what happened is that, Dre, you can't do things like that. I get it wasn't a real punch. It was just a, a love tap, whatever. You can't put yourself in the position to do something like that. You just can't. Dom DeSandro being at the center of that moment because, like, mm-hmm. that was the first legitimate, like, football fight we've seen all season, right? Like, I know it was whatever fight in air quotes but like we haven't seen anything like that in any game this year like the only suspension i can think of is kareem jackson just because he hits people in the head all the time like there hasn't really been a a football real fight this year for it to be dom DeSandro, which again sounds like they're just a shell corporation for the mafia like yes having that job title and being named Don DeSandro was just impeccable. And for him to be at the center of that, while Dre Greenlaw is, you know, suplexing Devonta Smith to the ground, because that's the other thing. Like, Devonta Smith is, like, weighs less than Tua, and we were having conversations about Tua getting, like, thrown around yeah. like, at all last year. 
Mm. Like, for all of that to happen is just incredible. At the center of that game, because it was still a game at that point. It was, what, 21 to... Thir- uh, 26 about to be 21 to 13 yeah like it was still a game and for that to happen at the center of all of it again i could talk for an hour about how just ridiculously fun all of that was and, and i've heard reports coming out from from social media that, that the nfl is going to address um the the dom thing and they are going to make an example of it i, I believe and it's going to be one of those like you can't have people like that on the side you've got to have them back away from the field that can't happen again kind of thing so that that's going to be a part of the NFL's memos this week, I believe, is like they're going to do an investigation into this stuff. Yeah, dude, the NFL banned that that camera person for the Tyreek Hill photo shoot, man. The NFL does not take kindly to this type of stuff. Nope. Like, sure, that's fine, whatever. Dom is not going to be allowed on the sideline again for most of the rest of the season. or what? Or, and, you know, other teams are going to have to adjust accordingly. But, like, mm-hmm. this, this has never happened in, like, in an NFL game. This isn't like a... a a problem with like security people being too close to the field and involved in the action. This is just yeah. like a weird one-off situation that is really, really funny in real time. Because again, the guy named Dom DeSandro Indra. is getting into a fight with Dre Greenlaw on the sidelines. And by the way, shout out to the Fox camera person who, as he's walking out, like they're not showing his camera angle, but you can yeah. see him like crouching and backing up as DeSandro <laughs> is walking out. Yeah. And then they get the tunnel shot. They get the tunnel shot of yep. Dom DeSandro walking out of the stadium. Yep. It's it was so good. Yeah, man. So good. And and look, obviously like Greenlaw is gonna either get a giant fine or might get suspended for the next game. Like No. No, he ain't getting suspended. Come on. I don't, look, I don't think so. But it's going to be either a giant fine or a one-game suspension. Because, like, like I said, we haven't seen anything like this. It wasn't a real fight. It wasn't, you know, Mike. It was even a real punch. (laughs) No, it wasn't a real punch. But the the suplex plus the the fighting Dom DeSandro Uh in combination is going to be the thing that gets it for him. Because, like, there's... He would. He might not have gotten ejected for just the suplex, but like if you put the two in combination, like the league is, the league might give him a one game. Like there, there have been there is precedent for giving him a one game suspension for that. Remember uh, Marshawn Lattimore fighting the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sideline. Look, or, all I know, all I know, Marshawn actually threw a punches. All all I know is that Trent Williams got away with throwing a haymaker on Dexter Lawrence midway through the game, and did not get suspended for that. So. Dre Greenlaw should not be getting suspended for this either. That's fair, but that kind of went under the radar. This was very... No, they reviewed it and gave him a fine. They didn't suspend him, though. That That's fair, but it was it was not as publicly embarrassing as Dre Greenlaw versus Dom Sinder, which I don't even think is that embarrassing. I'm just saying it might... It might I think it's embarrassing up. for the Eagles, frankly. I really do. Like, it's a bad look for them. Like, what is he doing up there? Why is he so close to the field? Like, he doesn't need to be up there with them. Like, you don't need to have someone, a hold-me-back guy with Nick Sirianni. You have all the other NFL players to do that for you. Yeah, because if Greenlaw wasn't going to get ejected for just suplexing Devonta Smith, which I, you know, you know, to, to each their own, whether they think it was that alone that got him ejected or if it was fighting Don DeSandro on the sideline. But, like, regardless of, of, the, regardless of why you think Dre Greenlaw got ejected from the game, like, the fact that that happened is embarrassing for the Eagles because, again, this is a guy that, like, okay, that they 
they did mention on the broadcast like they knew who Dom DeSandro was because he was he's like worked there for twenty five years. He was the one that gave him the food the food recommendations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like he had some clout before, and like I saw Rich Eisen was like, no one wants to mess with Dom. Like they know who this guy is if you're within league circles, but like. Yeah. I didn't know who Dom DeSandro was. Most and neither did Dre Greenlaw. Neither did Dre Greenlaw. And that's why him inserting himself into the conversation is why this becomes a problem for the NFL. Because this is yeah. someone that they didn't know. Why the NFL views it as a problem. I'm not going to be the pearl-clutching person. Like I think it's really, really funny. But when, yeah. the, when the Eagles look at that, when the NFL looks at it, yeah, like Dom DeSandro inserting himself into that moment is something that's embarrassing for the Eagles. And you mentioned Sirianni, like, kind of apologizing for it at the end of the game. I mean, you you saw it during the game. Shanahan was upset. Oh, dude, he was, he was Steve Kerr laying in, laying in for when Draymond got kicked out. Like, he was laying in to the referees, and there was no flag, nothing. He was just giving it to them. I know, like, like everything that everything that happened in that moment was like, Wow, this is like just peak drama because yeah, uh, that that totally overlooked like Jalen Carter throwing a punch at someone and just missing like yeah, get in trouble for that because he just like missed and then uh, I think it was Banks he like swung at Banks and Banks just kind of like threw him away like get out of here dude like yeah, it, the the Eagles really wanted that game like I didn't realize the Eagles really wanted to stick it to the Niners and they were like heated when the Niners were. Essentially, just pushing them around because they were tired of the TikTok too from from January. They were tired of hearing, "Oh, if we didn't lose our quarterback, then we, then, then we, you know that's that's why I saw Reddit came out and said, "Well, let's, let's do this thing again. Let's do a full strike. Let's go again." And yes, the Eagles were more banged up than the Niners. Yes, the Niners are also missing their two top safeties and all pro Tal Noah Fonga. They're, they're 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 still missing people. It's not like they're hundred percent either. You know, they're without Ray McLeod as well. He didn't play in this game. You know, their offensive line is nothing to write home about right now. And they've improved as the game went up. So that's the point is that the Niners had all this talk about, well, when we get our quarterback back and we play you guys, it's going to be a different game. And they're right. And they were right. And it wasn't even a close game. No, but this is the thing that's crazy about the trash talk part of it. It's like when it's not that close, and you just mentioned it, like it wasn't even close. But the other part of it is when Debo Samuel calls your quarterback trash and doubles down on it, and then comes out and has his yeah. biggest game of the season without question. Like, without, without a doubt, the biggest yeah. game of Debo Samuel's season. I know this because he's on my fantasy team. Trust me. Yes. The fifth game of Debo Samuel's season. To, to have not just the 50-yard touchdown, but then the 45-yarder at the end of the game. Which, by the way, Greg Papa missed the call because they were in a timeout when that oh, touchdown happened. Wild. It happened so quick that they were coming back from a timeout and missed the play. That's like, crazy. Like, that... To have those two big play touchdowns and for him to have 138 yards of offense was just absolutely sticking it to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, Crazy to watch happen in real time. Crazy. No. Like, it's insane because, and this even goes to Brock Purdy, though, too, because, like, the throws he was making under duress were very, very intelligent, efficient throws. Who was now number one pastoring, number one completion, number one touchdowns per attempt, yards per attempt, yards per completion. Like, this just shouldn't be happening for a guy like this. It just shouldn't be happening. And yet, that throw to McCaffrey just felt like, yep, he's going to make that throw because it's what he does. He's a great quarterback. Oh, are you talking about that, like, 33-yarder that set up the, uh, was it the Debo touchdown, I think? Was that the one? Yeah, or the Debo end around. Debo end around. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that was crazy. I was like, it felt like McCaffrey just like shifted a corner while the ball. That was, was a Madden play. It was literally him out of the backfield to the do the up and out, uh, up and out. It was it was the I run the Madden play with halfback. I think it's like halfback wheel, and they just literally had him just up and out get to the get to the corner crease, and Brock just lay it for him, and it was perfect. Which is funny because they ran kind of the same concept of a route for Kittle, too. I mean, Kittle wasn't lined up in the backfield, but they basically were like, just roll out, wheel up the sideline, and, and Kittle had the play that set up, I think it was the first touchdown. I think the, yeah. the Kittle catch set up the first touchdown, but it was like, yeah, they just ran these basic plays against the Eagles defense that, again, this is, this is why I know <laughs> as, as someone who, who's, who's deep into the NFL meme space from years ago, talking about a Cowboys-Niners NFC Championship game is dangerous, but the the reason why we should start talking about Cowboys-Niners NFC Championship game is because that Eagles defense is going to be the downfall to that team. Like, the Cowboys, the, the, the last two months of Cowboys on offense is Dak Prescott 16 touchdowns, one interception, and them just basically moving the ball at will against pretty good defenses. And we just yeah. saw the 49ers put up 42 against an Eagles team that... Like, Philadelphia, Philadelphia at this point is what they are on defense and mm-hmm. like home field advantage whatever you know if they beat the cowboys they get the division yeah. they might lose the division but like home field be damned like the eagles have the weakest unit of of cowboys 49ers and eagles yes like if you take their offense and defenses like the six units combined the worst one is eagles defense and that's going to be a problem when they get to the playoffs and it was kind of like the niners when they were on that three game skid with the eagles is that if their front four doesn't get home their, their secondary just gets exposed. Whereas the Niners now, the secondary has taken a step up since that three-game skid, and this doesn't happen anymore. They were all those sacks, they were coverage sacks. Every single one was a coverage sack. They held them in check almost the whole time. I mean, to hold Jalen Hurts to one passing touchdown and, a hundred, and, a, and, and less than 300 yards passing, I, I get he came in at the end and all that great stuff, and he had the, the garbage time. A lot of it was garbage time. It didn't really matter. And that's the huge thing is that the bend don't break stuff. You know, just like in the first quarter when the Niners' offense was struggling. They couldn't get anything going. What did the, the defense do? Ben, don't break. Ben, don't break. And that's what happened. Only two field goals in the first quarter. It was still a one-possession game. It wasn't out of hand yet. And that's what led this team, defensively especially, to just play their game, not get too overzealous. Yeah, this gets into some, like, macro NFL stuff about how, like, offense is down the last two years because they're just running less plays and time of possession has become the name of the game and stuff like that. But, like, when the Eagles came out there and and uh, Ambry Thomas and Traverius Ward were just getting cooked out the gate, just getting cooked by A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, that's the moment where it's like, okay, this is how the Eagles are going to get yeah. yeah. ball and all that stuff, but then Quick slant, screen pass, and the usual stuff the Niners get hit with. Yeah, and then even on the the, the one touchdown drive, the, the real touchdown drive, they had yeah. not the garbage time one. Like the third and ten where the 49ers send the six-man blitz, yep. they still get it to A.J. Brown, they st- they pick up the first down, and then they can just tush-push it in. Like that is, a, that is essentially a touchdown conversion on the Niners' blitz, which, I mean, you know, people talk about the Niners haven't played great offense, but I don't think I've seen a team beat the six-man blitz from the Niners' like that all season yeah i can remember so like that's the thing the eagles have going for them yeah the offense the offense walks away even though they got crushed like still looking impressive because the niners had like i i I had the box score up a minute ago but it was like seven minute touchdown drive six minute touchdown drive five minute touchdown drive even a drive that ended with a 
48-yard touchdown was still, yeah. like, a four-and-a-half-minute drive. So, like, the Eagles, after, I, I, I wonder what the time of possession numbers were at the end of the game. Do you have that up right there? I do, yes, and you're actually going to be surprised. Well, I won't be surprised if the Eagles had more time of possession than the Niners. They did. Yeah. Because at, at the end of the half, I'm sorry, at the end of the first quarter, it was like, Eagles 13 minutes and 46 seconds and Niners 1 minute and 14 seconds. Like, yeah, it was something gross. It was, like, on a technicality, the Eagles, I'm guessing it's probably, like, Eagles were 31 minutes or something like that. Eagles, you are correct. They had 31-39. Yeah. Niners had 28-21, so. Kind of a technicality because the Eagles had the ball last and just were kneeling the ball out. But, like, after the first quarter, that's, what, a, a plus... 14 advantage for the Niners essentially if you take away the last two and a half minutes of garbage time like yeah the, the yeah. Niners combined possession in the first quarter was two minutes and three seconds yeah exactly that's just that's crazy and and for them to finish where they were that's essentially making up yeah they made up 10 minutes of time and then you take away the garbage time at the end that's 12 and a half minutes beating the Eagles Mm-hmm. In the final, what is that, 30, uh, final 40 minutes of the game. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Anyways, uh, I know you got to do a recap. I just wanted to talk about Don. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like talking Don. I like talking more more pop culture stuff with you and having Nate on for the fan stuff. It's actually a really good combo between you two. We're well, doing. Yeah, I'm not, you know, this was the game of the year for me, but I'm not looking at this from a Niner fan perspective. Like, I no. think there's really interesting stuff coming out of this from the Eagles that we're not, you know, there's there's so much Niners stuff to break down. We've done that, but the Eagles have so many interesting points. I kind of dove into it by saying we should start talking about a Cowboys Niners NFC Championship game because, like, those, those awesome. are the two those are the two favorites. I just I don't trust I don't trust Dallas to beat Philadelphia first. I just don't. I don't. I, I I've seen this movie with Dallas so many times though in the playoffs. Oh, in the playoffs, that's different. But in the regular season, they might not need to because. Dallas can. Maybe Dallas can go into Philadelphia and beat the Eagles. They might be favored. I gotta they see it. Look, I favored. just I gotta see it first because I just Dallas is the black cat around that franchise. That's the way now when we see these sets. So I gotta see it first. With them. I, just, I, I know how this Dallas team works. So I got you. I got. You. <laughs> Anyways, I'll see you around, Kyle. We'll, Look, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it on Tuesday. Cool. Return of the Empire, yeah, yeah. 6 7 p.m. Love that. Kyle, I will see you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for us to award our weekly Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. The Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. For those who are new to the show, we've been keeping track for three seasons of the team that finds and the quarterback that finds themselves down six, no timeouts with one minute to play and needing to travel the length of the field. It has been a staple of the Minnesota Vikings and Chargers offenses for about three to five years now, and we've been making jokes about it going back to when Phillip Rivers was the quarterback of the Chargers. Here in week 13, we have a new winner who is getting his first Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award of his career, which, by the way, is interesting because he's been around for two seasons now. I'm looking at the numbers here. You would have thought that this guy would have had it at some point during this 500 football run 
that the Seattle Seahawks have been on. They are 15-15 and 15 with him as their starting quarterback, but Geno Smith in that amazing Thursday night football game against the Cowboys, the fifth game in NFL history that didn't record a punt. That's kind of crazy. The fifth game ever that did not record a punt ended with Geno Smith down six. It was 41-35. to 35. However, Geno Smith down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. A true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation, and Geno Smith led the Seattle Seahawks to not winning the game. They lost, and Micah Parsons had an incredible sack at the end of the game. But the point being, Kirk Cousins purgatory doesn't require you to win the game. It just requires that you be down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. Sometimes quarterbacks come through and win it under those impossible circumstances. Most of the time, they lose. The win probabilities all time are usually around like 15% when you find yourself in Kirk Cousins purgatory. So you know what? You're not always going to win these Kirk Cousins purgatory games, but occasionally they do. There's a couple comebacks in there, but when it's Trevor Semyon, like he was this week for the Jets against the Falcons, or Bailey Zappi in perpetual Kirk Cousins purgatory. He's already won two awards this year. Whenever it's one of those guys, you suspect that they're probably not going to get it done. But Geno gave it an honest effort, and if he were playing a lesser defense, well, one, the Seahawks might have won without having to go to Kirk Cousins purgatory. But if they hadn't been playing the impeccably great Cowboys defense, maybe, just maybe, Geno Smith would have had a chance, but unfortunately the Seahawks fall to 6-6, six and six. they are now 15-15 and 15 in the Geno Smith experiment, and we can finally correct the regression to the mean on Geno Smith being an average to below average quarterback, and Russell Wilson being a game manager, but also a better game manager than Geno Smith. So congratulations to you Geno, no punts in the game, and yet you found yourself in Kirk Cousins purgatory at the end. Congrats on getting your first award in 30 games with the Seahawks. And that's our week 13 NFL breakdown. There were some other fun things that happened, like the Arizona Cardinals putting the beat down on the Pittsburgh Steelers because apparently the Mike Tomlin voodoo magic doesn't work unless he's playing against a team that is not one of the worst in the NFL. Don't understand how this Mike Tomlin voodoo magic works. Shout out James Conner, James Conner revenge game. That was pretty cool. Um, actually, you know what? Before we go, let's talk about the James Conner revenge game. So at least that way I can put it on the description for the episode. James Conner having 25 carries for 105 yards, had two touchdowns, the Arizona Cardinals won by 14 points, so James Conner was literally the difference between winning and losing for that Cardinals offense. The defense of the Cardinals stacked up against what started out as Kenny Pickett and then became Mitchell Trubisky because as shitty as Kenny Pickett has been for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett is still not Mitchell Trubisky, and Mitchell Trubisky behind that offense was atrocious. I saw only bits and pieces of it because the game had two lightning delays, and it got pushed into the 1 o'clock window, and by the time the 1 o'clock window started, I was intently focused on that 49er Eagle game. I wasn't about to watch no Carolina versus Tampa Bay. In fact, we're recording this at... 5 o'clock p.m. I don't even know what the final score of Carolina-Tampa Bay was. I don't know who, I assume Tampa won the game, but I don't know what the final score was. There was a real fight in that game too, but it wasn't quite Dom DeSanto fighting against, Dom DeSandro, sorry, Dom DeSandro fighting against 
Dre Greenlaw, but I think there was a fight in that game too. Anyways, besides the point, what's really interesting is that we walk away from James Conner, who again played at the University of Pittsburgh. If you remember his story, he went through cancer when he was playing at Pittsburgh. He was a a top draft pick ACC conference player of the year as a sophomore. He lost his junior season because he was diagnosed with cancer, came back the following year, had a pretty good season, but not ACC Conference Player of the Year, potentially top draft pick in the NFL. He still ended up getting picked in the third round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. He ended up replacing Le'Veon Bell. It's kind of wild to think about James Conner's cancer diagnosis being like seven, eight years ago now, because he's in year seven in the NFL. It's kind of weird to think about. James Conner being in year seven in the NFL because it felt like not that long ago he was the feel-good story from Pittsburgh who was drafted by the Steelers, replaced Le'Veon Bell in the season that Le'Veon Bell sat out, which also was six years ago, which feels crazy to think about. But for James Conner to play his first game back in Pittsburgh after three years in Arizona and for him to have that game on that Sunday for a team that's not any good but a team that just had an awesome win. And, and covering the Cardinals the last three years with our friend Walter Mitchell, you get to learn that James Conner is just a really nice guy to root for. And it was just really, really great to to see James Conner have that game in that scenario, in that circumstance to have that game against that team. It was just, it was really swell to watch that happen for James Conner, and I feel really good for him that he had that revenge game and that the Cardinals got to beat the Steelers, and, you know, maybe the the Cardinals won't get Marvin Harrison Jr. anymore because of that result, but the Cardinals' offense is top half in the league, and James Conner's a big reason why, because when James Conner was out for those four or five weeks, it didn't quite look like that for the Arizona Cardinals. That offense was terrible with Josh Dobbs and Clayton Toon, I think a lot of the success you saw early in the season for that Cardinals team was... Part of the reason was the production that they were getting out of James Conner, who was legitimately one of the five most productive running backs in the league in the first month of the season, and they missed a month with injury, and he comes back with the season already done for Arizona, but Kyler Murray returning, and that being a big plus for that team, and for James Conner to have 100 yards, two touchdowns in his first game back in his hometown, where he was the feel-good story in college at Pittsburgh when he was diagnosed with cancer, gets drafted by the professional team, has this great four-year run where he makes Pro Bowls and replaces Le'Veon Bell. Just super cool to have that happen, and like the feel-good story of the weekend was that James Conner revenge game against the Pittsburgh Steelers in his college town and early professional career hometown. I'll call it adopted hometown. I don't actually know if James Conner's from Pittsburgh, but I'll call that his adopted hometown for the sake of that story. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We got episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Guarantee those, but also be on the lookout for Wired Ups. They come out pretty consistently. You guys might enjoy them. Five-star reviews, downloads, all that stuff is greatly, greatly appreciated. We got another fun, fantastic episode coming at you on Wednesday this week. We'll talk to you then, and in the meantime, we hope that you continue to take it easy.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.